Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast coming to you from the Midtown adjacent Kirkwood neighborhood. Uh, welcome to Metron. Metron people, would you tell the podcast people we appreciate them logging on? Uh, we're in a, uh, a series. Uh, I'm assuming two weeks from today when we're back here, I'm, I'm assuming I'll still be on this topic. If not, this will definitely be a two-parter. And our title this morning or this month is in the garden, rethinking righteousness and self-actualizing for success. The reason, um, the reason I'm using the phrase in the garden, yes, I'm talking about the garden of Eden, but I'm really talking about you. Um, in Genesis one, the Elohim says, let us make man in our image or let us make people in our image and let them have dominion. Let them subdue the earth. And, Every one of you was born into a situation that was beyond your control. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your ancestry. Uh, it's the hand that was dealt you. And it was your Garden of Eden that you were commanded to subdue and take dominion over. I mean, I don't want to just get us all too introspective here on the before I get to the first point. But everybody... I, I doubt anybody here was born into a, an ideal situation that was absolutely perfect. So there was something about however you were, when you discovered life, you discovered that was your reality. Uh, either that reality was going to dominate you or you were going to dominate that reality. You understand? Everybody's got sad tales. Everybody's got issues um every you know i made a joke about my family being dysfunctional so was you could you laugh because so is yours <laughs> when somebody says my family's dysfunctional like duh i mean everybody everybody's is on some level and you think not mine i guarantee you there's stuff you don't know that if you knew today you'd be you'd be in trouble so um you can either Use your life circumstances as an excuse to stay stuck and never prevail over the garden. Or you can say, the Elohim created dominion in the garden that I was put in. Y'all with me? And the reason I said rethinking righteousness, I, I want to I look at some of our definitions. Because righteousness just means rightness. And... Um, you know, I was joking earlier about going to a movie, but I remember even even when I went, because I went to, technically it was a Bible college, it was liberal arts, now it's a university, but um, when, when I was there, it was a college. And I remember, because uh, I always loved the movies. I know y'all can't, y'all surprised at that. Like when I, we, but we weren't allowed to go to movies at our Assembly of God College. I mean, you'd get expelled for that. One of the reasons Howie and I became friends early on is we both snuck off and went to the movies. If something came on that we wanted to see, we would actually, because there was a, a theater 
that's something Orange Grove, something, I don't even know if it's still there. But we used to leave, they had a late show, we would leave, walk there after curfew. Because I, I, I remember when The Wiz came out with Michael Jackson, I thought, I'm going to see The Wiz. If I, if I have to lose some, some honor points, that's fine. So we were like, we were walking. They got in there with a bunch of other students in there too. And like, oh, y'all are all going to hell with us. <clears throat> but I remember. We, uh, if you didn't hear, Ed said, Howie and I eased on down the road. All right, you get one of those, Ed. That's it. Just please keep a watch over him. Um, but, uh, see, you messed up my rhythm. I'm the funny one in here. Um, but I remember taking a girl to a movie on a date. I mean, it's not like I'm going to filthy movies. I mean, these are like mainstream movies you, you probably saw. And I remember we sat down, she nervously said to me, I've never, I've never been to a movie before. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm, just, I'm afraid I'll miss the rapture. If we, so what would we do if, if Jesus came back right now? We'd miss the rapture. And I said, are you serious? You really? And then I said, "Well, let's go." Uh, I didn't. I had no idea. I mean, I, it didn't occur to me that you would think this. She said, no, I don't want to make you leave. You've always spent your money. Well, how are you going to sit there and enjoy? It? She's she's gripping her seats, going, "Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly." And let me tell you something. Growing up with that kind of Jesus wears you out. It's exhausting when you grow up with the. There's an all-seeing eye that sees everything you do. You're like, good Lord, Jesus, is there somebody else you can look at for just one minute? I just want to see this movie and not the rapture. I love you. I'm in the ministry. I mean, look how many people I, you know, led to the Lord this week. Does that count for anything? Could I just watch this movie in peace without you coming to... I mean, I, I grew up with that kind of nonsense. Is why I didn't want to go in the ministry. Uh, as a living. I remember I'm eight years old. My dad pastored a church in Bremen, Georgia. I'm sitting on the front row. My parents were always into Bible prophecy. My mom still is. You know, she, she'll, she still will tell me, and she may be watching this morning. I don't know, but she still will tell me all the signs have been fulfilled. We're, we're, the rapture's about to take place. I'm like, okay, mom, I just wanted to bring dinner to you tonight. You know, I, I if there's, if we're gonna fly away, I promise, I'll fly with you, and I'll apologize at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm gonna think, think, think on the glass. To whom it may concern, sorry, I really didn't think this was gonna happen. Because I don't think it's gonna happen. Uh, I think we're the second coming of Christ. I don't think it's an event. I think it's a revelation. That's why you saw Jackie on the thing there. I remember years ago. I always give her credit for this. Jackie said. The reason Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour is because it's, it's different for every individual. I said, if you never did anything else, get, that's, that was worth me meeting you to say that. Because everything in my spirit said, yes, I know that's right. But I remember we had this guy came to the church. I, told, I remember what his cologne smelled like. Is he sweating and I could smell him from on the front row. And he was saying that the communists were going to come take over. He said, any day now, the communists are going to be, he was telling us all about that. And then 
He said, the first thing they're going to do is kill all the preachers and make everybody uh, atheist. He said, this little boy sitting on the front row, they're going to take his daddy out and cut his head off right in front of him. Let me tell you, when you're eight and you hear that your dad's going to be decapitated, you're like, I want out. I don't want to be in this. This I don't like this. Church isn't fun. Church is terrifying. Church is oppressive. The reason I love the gospel so much is I didn't grow up hearing the gospel a lot. I heard a lot of bogus stuff that never came to pass, living on the edge, thinking you can't go to a movie because Jesus does not care if you go to a movie. So when I talk about rethinking righteousness, what I mean is your rightness with God is very personal to you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Your relationship with God is something I don't understand or even have to have an opinion about. It's personal to you. It's unique to you. I can't make a rule for you. Well, the Bible is very clear. It is not very clear. If you think the Bible is very clear, you haven't read it very much. If it was clear, there wouldn't be in excess excess of 46,000 Christian denominations of people fighting with other people that we're, we're right and you're wrong. The tribal shaming that comes from the birth of new denominations is rampant. And it's still going on now. It's going, It's more alive now with the rise of Christian nationalism among white evangelicals. It's bigger now than it ever has been. So much so, this guy, I can't think of his name, brilliant guy that's written this book, who came out of evangelical movement. He's been polling pastors who... Their churches are telling him not to read the Beatitudes anymore because it's too woke. He was reading the Beatitudes. They said, where did you get that? That's some kind of liberal woke agenda. He said, it's the literal words of Jesus. I'm not even commentating. I'm reading the letters in red. Well, that doesn't count anymore. We we believe that's too, that sounds too liberal. You don't think that's up? Jesus is too woke for the the American church. Y'all, please pray for Jesus. Jesus can get saved and join the right political party. Um, So anyway, I'm talking about self-actualizing, meaning your relationship with God needs to be something that's real. Uh, When I look at all those images that DJ compiled for my ministry anniversary, I know the one thread through all of that is something happened to me that was real. Have my definitions of things changed? Absolutely. Has my interpretation of Scripture evolved? No doubt. And yet, something real happened to me that I call the Holy Spirit, and it transcends things that were written by men of old who were trying to make sense of transcendence in their generation. Okay? (laughs) Somebody, it might have been Rutherford this morning, posted something on his feed about how amazing it is that uh, after the flood, kangaroos hopped 7,000 miles to Australia, didn't leave any bones behind, Bishop, you don't believe in the flood? 
I believe there probably was a great flood in antiquity in that part of the world, and it became part of the lore, and people, you know, wrote it into their holy writ, including the Hebrew scholars. Do I believe some penguins got on an ice flow from the North Pole and floated down to Mesopotamia to be part of the Great Flood? No. But buddy, if you go to the Creation Museum in Cleveland, Ohio, you go in there and they they have a recreation of the ark and it has dinosaurs on it. Because they're trying to hold to the idea that the earth is only 6,000 years old. So they got Noah. <laughs> Why is that funny? Well, they got Noah and his wife with a Tyrannosaurus Rex because they're trying to make something fit into something that was never meant to be. I mean, if Moses, if Moses even wrote it, he would be here today saying, no, I wasn't a scientist writing a science book. I was trying to explain something real that happened to me that I realize now wasn't absolute. When, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with him, and Moses didn't have the Ten Commandments with him then. He was Moses in the now. Moses had evolved. So, do I believe the Bible is real? Yeah, it's real. Do I believe it's inspired? Yes, I believe it's inspired. Do I believe it's infallible? No, it doesn't claim to be infallible. The writers never said that it was infallible. Bibliolatry is crazy talk. When you start locking in ideas that were written 6,000 years ago saying this is the absolute word of God. First of all, it's insulting to an eternal God who speaks all the time. David didn't have a Bible. And he said, I walk out and look up in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. Well, what does the Bible say about it? David had no idea what you're talking about. When he said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He didn't say, your Bible have I hid in my heart. The Bible was a collection of books put together a few centuries after Jesus lived in North Africa. The Council of Nicaea was one of the main ones. But they got together and decided what was the canon of the Scriptures. Does that mean we're going to throw it away? No, I love it now more than I ever have. In fact, I believe it's inspired more than I ever did. I also can look at it with a critical eye. It's called rightly dividing the word of truth. Ever heard of it? It means when you look at it and something doesn't jibe with your heart, you need to look deeper into it. I feel like I say this to you every time I talk about this, but a, a pastor who I had been under my covering for many years disconnected from me when I came out, and he said, I think you have created a theology for yourself where you're not afraid uh, to, that you'll go to hell for being who you are. And at first it offended me when he said it, and then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I'm not sure that's not, that's not completely untrue. If I had read in the Bible that all blue-eyed people went to hell, something in me would have said, that can't be right. Especially if you're telling me God is love, and I've had some kind of real experience with this thing, this entity, this higher power that I call God. I know that's real. You can't tell me that that's not real. And if you said, yeah, but you got blue eyes, you're going to hell, I would. it would force me to dig deeper and not just take things at face value. So, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe 
maybe my orientation did move my interpretation in a certain direction. And I'm very proud of that. That means I have a brain. That means I have discernment. That means I know the Holy Spirit. The letter kills. In the International Standard Version, it says the written text kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, the reason I'm talking about this this week is we come from this theology. Now, now just think about this for a minute. Let's, let me use that men in black thing and go, boop, I've erased your memory now. You've never heard this story before. Let me tell you something. There's this being called God who's all-knowing, knows the future, knows everything. He's, he's not just omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all. 6,000 years ago, he puts these two people on the earth. Even though he knows everything, he puts two trees in front of them. Kind of like a, a stunt. And he says, you can choose one, but not the other. And even though he knows the future, they choose the wrong one, so he kicks them out of the garden. So all of these years later, he's so furious about, what? My, my God, what did they do? They ate a piece of fruit. And what? Well, that was it. So he sends a son die on the cross who says it is finished, but it ain't anywhere near finished. Because then you get to the end of this collection of books who say there's still going to be wars and Armageddons and bottomless pits. And like merely it's like the death of the, th this God's son is nearly a, a afterthought. It, it certainly didn't accomplish ultimate salvation. What happens to the majority of humanity? Oh, the, most of them are in hell. All the ones that don't believe exactly like you believe about these 66 books, they're all in hell. Wow, an omniscient God did that? He ought to maybe work on his omniscience. I don't think he, he knows all. There's just something intrinsically wrong with that. Now, the first time you heard it, you might have thought, that doesn't sound right. But you didn't say anything. You'd have gotten in trouble. You don't talk back to the Bible. Not where I came from. Yeah, but you said God is a question. The all-seeing, all-knowing God. Yeah, well, there's a lot of holes in his logic. If he's a God of love, what was the point of all this? If Where is the love you said you'd give to? Ed's got jokes, Sonia's got songs. Thank you, Madam DJ. All right, let me show you that I showed it to you last week, maybe in a different, uh, this is, again, this is Ephesians 1.4 in the New Living Translation. Let me, let me say something about Paul who wrote this. Paul was in and out of Revelation. You can read some things and you think, oh, that sounds like Moses speaking through Gamaliel to him. You read other things, you think, oh, now that sounds like the bright light out of heaven on the road to Damascus. Something real happened with Paul. That doesn't mean we embrace everything that he said, because he said some things that were clearly limited to his perception, 
of the day and age in which he lived. See, if Paul, according to what Paul wrote, he'd walk in here and say, why are the men and women sitting together? He said the men and women should be separated because women aren't supposed to say anything. If, if Paul had been here and you said, where is the love? He'd excused you. Paul wasn't really crazy about the ladies. Nobody ever washed Paul's feet with her hair. And yet, when he got it right, I'm like, you go, Polly. That's pretty good. And he got it right in Ephesians 1. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ that the majority of humanity would burn in hell for eternity. Is that not what it says? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. If you do believe in an omniscient God who is a God of love, you can't not believe that. Now, last week when Jared was here, I used this analogy. And I can say it about all four of my children. I loved them before they were born. As soon as I heard, you're going to be a father, I automatically thought, I don't know what that little noggin's going to look like, but I love it already. What if it's a boy? I love him. What if it's a girl? I love her. Already. They didn't have to, I didn't have to interview them. After they came out and they're laying there, the nurses, they're, you know, cleaning them up and they're like, I know I don't like much of dad, but just give me some time. I'm going to grow on you. No, they were already in. If you had walked in that room and tried to hurt my baby, if I had just met him, I'd have killed you. I'd have been like, I don't care. Put me on death row. You're not going to kill my, that's my baby. Yeah, but you don't know. Are they worth it? They're, they're worth it because they're mine. That's my baby. Yeah, yeah, but they're flawed. I don't care. Get out of here. If you don't believe in a God who already would fight for you before you messed up, then you've never met God yet. You've met, you know a lot about the Bible. But when you have a real revelation of God, I'm telling you, there's a hug that you feel in your spirit that you know that you know that you know is real and there aren't enough Bible verses in the world to talk you out of it. People could thump their Bibles all they want to. Your daddy's holding you in his arms and you're like, that's my daddy. You can't do nothing to me. And if you don't know that God, you're a bastard. You don't, you've never, you don't know who your father is. Well, I went to church. He called me a bastard. Well, that's, I'm saying a bastard. Someone doesn't have a, doesn't have a daddy. Paul says you had one. And, and now we would be more in, inclined to say a parent, not just a father, because this would be just as true for a mother. You hear these stories about, you know, the, the, the woman that picks up the car that falls on the baby, and how does she do it? Well, she did it because she's a mother. I told you this before, but when Christina, when Christina and Dyson were married, he was deployed. He was deployed their entire marriage, but uh, she lived, because he was at um, Fort Bragg, she lived in North Carolina. And Sophia was a baby, and she was pregnant with Olivia. 
he was home enough, long enough to impregnate her, but basically the whole time he was not here. That's not his fault, and he's just, you know, he's in special forces, he's gone all the time. Uh, bless her heart. Um, but she called me one night, and she said, Dad, I'm here by myself, and there's somebody scratching on this back door, and I don't know what to do. I feel like somebody's trying to break in this house, and there's been, it's in the news that there's a guy who's been breaking into houses, raping women, and I am freaking out. So, you know, I'm saying all the, we'll call the cops. He said, I don't have time. He's at the door. And so I'm like, it's very frustrating. I'm in Atlanta. She's in North Carolina. She's telling me somebody's on the other side of the door. And I'm, you know, I'm, in the name of Jesus, I pray angels over you. But that didn't, you know, angels aren't helping me right now. That's my little girl saying, Daddy, I need some help. And I'm like, I, I can't do anything. And I said, Christina, if somebody's trying to break in that house, you're going to have to tap into your, your super mom. I said, you have something in you as a mother. Uh, I said, walk over to that fireplace and pick up that poker. And I said, when that guy comes in, you will take him out because you've got to protect your baby. And come to find out it was a, an animal that was scratching on the door. There was nothing to it. But there was a few minutes that was really scary. But when I said that to her, she was good to go. She said, I don't think I can do it. I said, yes, you can. I guarantee you, somebody comes in and tries to kill your baby, my grandbaby, something will come out of you that will, that will kill that. I won't say what I called him. Because I already hated him. Huh? <laughs> no, I never said this one. <laughs> But it was appropriate. You know what I mean? I'm like, when you think somebody's about to kill your little girl, you'll say mofo. You'll, you know, you'll be like, you know, you, you know, you feel me? I mean, that's an inappropriate term, but that was, that's what needed to be said. If, if somebody's about to kill you, I don't have time for you to say, please ask that gentleman to leave the premises. No, I said, you're going to, I said, tap into your mother, your, your mother power. She said, I got it. You've got to believe in a heavenly parent. Even, look, even if you totally believe that hell is real, if you believe there's a literal burning hell somewhere, you've got to believe in a Jesus that at least did a perfect work on the cross enough that he would say, come to you and say, you see the nail prints in these hands? You think I'm going to go through all this on the cross and let you burn in hell for eternity? I think not. So even if you, if I'm not trying to talk you out of your belief in hell, at least then believe in a Jesus who's stronger than that, who will say, no, there's a real hell and I'm not going to let you over my dead body, which is, which is exactly what he did. These people that accuse People that preach like me of y'all soft on sin. No, you're soft on God. You're soft on the power of God. You're so preoccupied with who did what and who's wearing what and who's sleeping with who and well, they ain't, they ain't saved. You you've you've so emasculated your sad little Jesus that you've got this. Little, you know, I'm if I'm gonna go biblical. I read a Jesus who comes out of the tomb and says, all authority has been given unto me. Not, 
Well, it is written. Don't eat shellfish. Like, really? That's your sad, little, pathetic, weak, impotent, disgusting Jesus? No wonder you're so unhappy. Yeah, but sin, like, when John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, Behold the drag queens. Well, some of the stuff that I read that some of these evangelicals are doing, I think, really, are y'all really that scared? Yeah, but men shouldn't dress up like women. Why do you care? Are they making you dress up like a woman? No, but I don't like, like, then why does, why do you even have a dog in that fight? Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the way, sin of the world. Why can't you just behold the Lamb? If you believe hell is literal, then at least behold the Lamb. Get, get you a, you need a beefed up Jesus. You need a Jesus with some guns. Y'all don't preach me, don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good. So this is what he says. He's, ba- he's basically saying before I created them, these are already my babies. You can't touch them. Let me show you the next one. This is, a, this is Ephesians 1.4 in the World English Bible. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, remember that phrase, I'm going to come back to it, that we should be holy and without defect before him in love. Yeah, but it's all my sin. No, it says he chose you before he had already decided you were righteous. You know, one thing, and I went through this, with so many staff members over the years. At one time, this is now this is counting kids in the now, but at one point we had 60 people on the payroll church. Now it's a lot of people to be responsible for. <clears throat> and um, I was a good boss, and I'll tell you why I was a good boss. I didn't overwork people. I let people develop their own ministry. I didn't micromanage them. Um, and also, they all knew, because people were always complaining about somebody. They didn't like, I don't like Jimmy Mayo saying this. I don't like Debbie was too loud. And she was, you know, somebody's always griping about something. And I used to tell the church, I'd say, just let me tell you this before you come to me about one of my staff members. I'm already on their side. Now, I may take them in my office privately and say you could have handled this better, but I'm not going to sit there and let you tear apart somebody that I know, I know the full story. So you don't need to come tell me that Judah's music was too loud or you didn't like what somebody wore or whatever because I'm not going to be objective about it. I'm already going to believe they're right. Why? Because they're mine. And my staff always knew, you know, if I mess up, he's going to have my back. And I can't tell you many times over the years I ran interference for people. But I just said, no, you don't, this conversation's over. I, I, I've heard your complaints, but if I'm going to have to choose, I'm going to be on their side. You just need to know. I look after my people. I look after my family. My kids are not perfect, 
but I dare you to say something about one of them. I dare you. And you ought to be that way about your kids. Your kids aren't perfect either. Can I get a witness? But if somebody's going to say something, it's going to be you, not somebody else. Next Sunday, when I'm at DE's consecration, I dare somebody to say something about my family. I dare somebody to say something about my Uncle Earl. Yeah, but I read... There's plenty of... You Google it. There's plenty of conversation. Our conversation ends right here. You, you don't have anything to say. Well, you should be open. No, not, not for people who are mine. And if you don't know that God's got you like that, I need to have an altar call today. Because you haven't, you haven't met Jesus. You don't know the Holy Spirit. Because if you think one little infraction is going to destroy your relationship with God, something's real messed up. I'm not saying consequences don't have, uh, I mean, actions don't have consequences because they do. It has nothing to do with how God feels about you. I've watched my kids make certain choices that I thought that's not what I would have advised them to do, but they're adults. They got to figure it out. They're going to have to learn from some of their own mistakes. I can't, they're not living under my roof. I'm not paying their bills. I can't micromanage them. So I've got to say, that's your life. That's who you want to be with. I'm going to, I'm going to be on board. Why? Because I'm your daddy. Yeah, but they're with the wrong, well, that's my kid. Then I'm going to tell you this verse I used last week. I think it's the first time I've ever used it. It was last week. Ecclesiastes 7.29 in the Wycliffe Bible. It says, I found this only that God made a man rightful. God made man right. And then he meddled himself with questions without number. I found only this, that God made a person upright or clear-headed, but then he mixed himself in or mixed himself up with too many questions. And I asked this week, what was the number one question? And you all answered, who told you you were naked? Do I believe the Garden of Eden story was literal? It's beside the point. It doesn't matter. The, it's the truth of it that's real. If I tell you the story of the tortoise and the hare, which is a, is a, a parable about perseverance, and you say, well, I need to know where was this race. And that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right to me. How could a rabbit, uh, race with a reptile? I need, I need some, you need to show me some receipts. No, you, baby, you're missing the point. The point of the story. Bishop, you say you didn't believe in the flood. I tell you what I do believe is in that story, God says to, Mo, uh, to Noah, I'm going to destroy the, the earth, but you can save it. You know what the takeaway from that story? Not whether there was actually two zebras or two pandas on the boat, because I don't believe that. What I do believe is that one person can make a difference. Without the Noah story, there's no Gandhi. There's no Martin Luther King Jr. There's no Rosa Parks. None of these people who, who turned out to be world changers who said, I've got, I can't just curse the system. I've got to do something to change it. That's what Noah and the Ark is about. Not about, but I think there must have been dinosaurs on there. 
baby. Come on now. <laughs> who was it? It was some comedian. I can't remember who this was, but it was so funny. He was talking about a guy who, a, a commentator for the news. And instead of giving his take on things, he would read some crazy headline. This so-and-so happened this week. And he'd look in the camera and say, come on now. <laughs> and he kept reading more crazier stuff. And he'd be like, come on. And it's like, he completely made his point. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't need to explain. I got it. That's crazy talk. If you read something in the Bible and say, that sounds crazy, then don't believe it. <gasps> but it's the Word of God. No, it's not. How would you, why would you insult an eternal God to say that He could only talk through these Hebrew men who lived during this period of time? God's talking right now. God's talking this morning. Some of you He talked to when you got... He, she, it, something higher than you, talked to you when you got up. The reason you came today. You said you started looking at videos, wondering what I was doing. Now, that wasn't an idea that came from you. That came from something we call God, who said, for whatever reason, I'm going to never see you again after today, but for whatever reason, you were supposed to be here today, or you wouldn't have been here, right? Something in you, though I just had this idea. No, you didn't. It was the God in you who said, you should do this. You feel me? God is real in this. God's real. We're not making this stuff up. All right. Now I'm going to show you some things to help you. Before I get to the... I'm taking you out of the book of Revelation today already. Let me show you a couple of things. This quote... Let me show you this. <laughs> Go ahead. Show me Ducky Louise. It says... Just think outside the box of it. I'm just going to read this ancient text that's been interpreted into my language and assume all of my cultural understandings apply and there's nothing deeper going on and no symbolism anywhere to be found and also refuse to cross-reference this paragraph I'm reading with any of the other parts of this library that I also believe is true to see if there could be some nuance here and you hate God and His Word if you aren't reading it the same way as me. It's an old stance to take, but okay. I love whoever this person is. They wrote it in that run-on sentence. They're like, really? That, that's your interpretation of modern biblical interpretation. Yeah, but it says it right here. Baby, it's not just what's on the page. It's what was the context. Who was saying it? Why did they say it? Who were they saying it to? It might not have been about you at all. You ever been out somewhere and somebody waves and you think they're waving at you and you're like, and you're like oh, they're not waving at me. And you try to play it off. I know you think, well, every word in that book is written to me. No, baby, it's not. You know, black people don't listen to me for a minute. I just can talk to the white people. Just Y'all just check out. 
Y'all know what white people did with the Bible? <laughs> Jesus is Middle Eastern, okay? Now, he might not have looked like he was from Africa, but he definitely didn't look like he came from Europe. If he wasn't black, and I don't have any problem with him being black, but if he's not black, at least he's brown. Could you meet me halfway? <laughs> Can you give me at least a brown Jesus? No, he was black. All right, fine. Because I know white people to say, no, he was white with blue eyes. And I was looking at, somebody had posted a painting of people going in the rapture. You see all these people flying, I thought, ain't that about a... It's like, it's only white people flying up to see their white Jesus in America. They assumed the earth, I guess, no wonder they think the earth is flat, because if the earth is a ball, which it is, where are they flying to, and what's happening to other people on the earth? It just, white people, I love white people. My mama's white. But so much of biblical interpretation came from the patriarchy and, and white supremacy that white people think it's, it's all about them. Now, y'all black, black people didn't hear that. I'm just talking to some people. But don't you see how ridiculous that seems? I know I've told you this before, but when I, when I was young and started preaching, I was talking, I, mean, I started talking about racism early on. And at this white man at my dad's church and said, you know, the way you talk about black people the way you seem to love them so much. He said, I think you wouldn't care if you went to heaven and God was black. I said, well, what if he is? I mean, I'm like, if I get there and he is, I'll be like, what's up, God? I mean, what am I going to go? Wait a minute. I didn't know God was a brother. I'm out. I'm like, really? He said, I know, but it's like the idea that God could possibly be black nearly made his head explode. So you say, I read the Bible. No, you read the Bible filtered through your biases. Let me show you this. There it is. The quote is airplay. <laughs> no, show me what else we got. Hang on. Michelle's out under the power. She, she fell out. I was so anointed this morning she fell out. Somebody cover her legs. All right, this is that this is that cartoon I was telling you about last week. I found a better print of it. It shows the the typical, you know, white Jewish God. But he's holding a man over the flame and he says, tell me you love it and make it sincere. Now, that, doesn't that just seem, isn't there something wrong about that concept? And the guy who posted this, I was reading what he wrote and he said, even when I was a kid and I would go to the altar and say, I confess Jesus. People, my authority figures would still say, were you sincere about it? He's like, it was never, it was never enough. And if you were really sincere, how come you did this or how come you wore that? It's like, it's, let me tell you something about religion. It's thing. Because with religion, you just can't get it right. No matter how, what you do, it's still 
wasn't right. I remember even as, as a kid, I mean, I, something real with me wanted to talk, something real in me wanted to talk about God, but then the God that people were telling me about, I'm like, that God wears me out. Because you can never please Him. Even with Jesus dying on the cross, He still, it just didn't take. He still, <laughs> I went in, I went into, um, the mall this week, I bought a new suit for next Sunday. The woman who usually waits on me there, where but uh, she walked. I said, "Carol, you've lost so much weight. How'd you lose weight?" She said, "My church put us on a Daniel fast." I said, "You lost that much on a Daniel fast?" Said, yeah. Well, she was waiting on another woman who was standing there, and she said, "Yeah, my church put us on a Daniel fast, but it didn't take. As soon as it was over, I was thinking, where's the ribs?'" Where <laughs> she said, I couldn't wait for that Daniel fast to end. I said, man, if, it, if I can lose that much weight on a Daniel fast, let me, I need to meet your pastor. I, I feel sure she did a little something else. Because that's I've been on Daniel fast before and I didn't lose that kind of weight. <laughs> if you don't, yeah, you can go total vegetarian and still be plump. Especially you eating those southern vegetables. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm totally going vegan. How am I gaining weight? Because you're not vegan. You, you've been eating greens with that, all that stuff in this pork. That's not, you're not vegan. <laughs> you just like greens. Believe me, I know. Anyway, I just thought, wow, that's... That really makes a point. And then one other thing I wanted to show you before we get to the book of Revelation. And I'll let you out of here. This Pete ends. He says, No theology is strictly speaking timeless. All theology has a historical and cultural context, including the theology of the biblical writers. And that is good news, for it gives us permission to accept the responsibility to think, to think through what it means for God to be present now. Case in point, when Paul says, I tell women to keep silence in the church, that wasn't a revelation. That's the way the culture was at that time. Women didn't have a voice. Women weren't encouraged to be educated. Women were supposed to stay home and have babies. So what Paul was saying was not revelation. It was his interpreting his culture. He's basically saying, don't rock the boat, just be whatever is the cultural norm. You know, just go with that. You know, famous, I may have said his name, and I'm not going to say it today, but he's definitely got some rumors he's having to deal with. And in an interview sometime back, I heard him say, he just happens to be African-American, he was in an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and she said, what do you think about gay people? He said, well, I personally don't have any problem with them, but the scriptures do, and so I have to support the scriptures. And I, if I was in the audience, I would say, Bishop, can I just say the scriptures also support slavery, and you, you have no problem speaking out about that without throwing your Bible away. Look, there's flaws in the American foundation. But ain't none of us trying to leave America. 
we're all saying, let's, let's try to figure out how to form a more perfect union. Because, I mean, it, it ain't perfect, but I don't know. I know I got speaking from other countries here. Don't be offended. Wellington's not offended. He's living in America. He go back. He goes back and visits. And I notice every time he comes back. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean you hate Africa. It just means I love America. Yeah, but it's got racism. I know. We're working on it. Yeah, it's become a big point of contention. People say, is America a racist country? You know how I would answer that if somebody asked me? I would say the answer is yes and no. I could totally show you the history of America that was clearly the economy built on slavery, and there's no doubt about that. So if that was my only form of reference, I would say, yeah, it's definitely a racist country. I could also say America has elected a president and has black Governors and senators, so you can't say across the board it's racist. Is it racist? Yes. Is it racist? No. Both things, you understand what I'm saying? Both things are simultaneously true. If it was 100% racist, you couldn't, people who were in the minority couldn't even live here. And I'm, you know, I, I know slavery was real and Jim Crow and lynching, all that kind of stuff. That's not the total truth. However, there are still people who exist who would like that to be the total truth. So you have to keep vigilant. You know, the term woke initially was just for the black community. It, initially, it just meant watch out because people were being killed ju just for being black. So woke literally meant keep your eyes open because, and if you go into a place you know, don't rock the boat because if you that's where you're, you know, you're going to get in trouble. It doesn't mean you're supporting racism. It's just, I just don't want you to get killed. Then white liberals took it over. Now, now woke means everything. Sorry. <laughs> Even the LGBTQ community got in on it. Woke. <laughs> At least we recognize where it came from. All right. I've said all that to say this. Now, before I read this passage to you, um, when I don't know what your background was like, but when I just hear the term book of Revelation, there's a little bit of a trigger in me. Because it was always presented to me as end times, the world's about to be destroyed, Antichrist, nuclear holocaust, there's so much baggage. And the word just means, it comes from the word apocalypsis, which just means the revealing. It's, it was never supposed to be the revealing of bad things. It's supposed to be the revealing of Christ. And when John, who wrote it, he said, I was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day, and I got this revelation. I wrote it in these seven letters to these churches in Asia. And he says, I must show you, I'm showing you things that must quickly come to pass. So, if you ever hear the term preterist, a preterist is someone who believes that the prophetic events of the Bible have already been fulfilled. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It just means we don't read things into it that are irrelevant to us. So when, when John is writing this to these Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman Empire, I mean, these people are being thrown to the lions. 
he's not talking about people in 2024 dealing with microchips. I mean, look, I eat at um, Whole Foods a lot because they've got a uh, buffet there, and it's just real easy to stop in there. You can get vegetables. And, and Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. And I noticed a few months ago, because I go in there, and when I do, I love self-checkout. I did when it first started. Now I love it. Now I know how to do it. I like to say, I can get in and get out quicker. And, um, I'm putting my card in, you know. Well, I noticed a few months ago they said, if you want to just put your hand up, you know, because that's a thing. You ha you have to uh, download it, like like the if you have facial recognition on your phone, the same kind of thing, or thumbprint, or whatever. But that old school training thing, I thought, boom. I mean, immediately I thought, mark of the beast. So I thought, if I'm thinking that, I can't imagine what these people are thinking who hear this preached every Sunday. I'm like, how do y'all even? I remember when barcodes first came out. People didn't want to use those. Well, how are you going to buy and sell? Revelation 13, if they don't have the mark in their hand, then they can't buy and sell. That's not what he was talking about. And I've got too much to go into to do the whole book of Revelation. I only want to talk about this one passage because it uses the phrase from the foundation of the world. And this is the account of people who stand before the throne of God to check to see if their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if it's not in there, they are not saved. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter, it says even the people who are outside the city, that the Spirit and the Bride come to them and say, even y'all come on in. So if you read Revelation in context, it's, it's universal reconciliation. However, you know, if you think about, and buddy, that Lamb's Book of Life was real to me when I was growing up. When I was a kid, I thought, it's in the, it's, my name's in the book. Oh, but I watched the Brady Bunch last week, and I think that that Greg Brady is so cute. Like, oh, no, I, Jesus, please forgive me. I didn't, I didn't really think that. Oh, no, I, Jesus knew. I thought Greg Brady is cute. He's raced my name out. I'm sorry, Jesus, I please forgive me. I'll never, I'll never watch Brady Bunch again. I hate Greg Brady. All right, if you're sure... I'll write your name back in. <laughs> and then I'm dating myself here, but you know, the next thing on is boom, here we come. Oh no, the monkeys. I think all four of the monkeys are cute. Oh my God. Jesus, I'm racing you out again. I'm going to have to get rid of my TV. And I didn't even know what sex was. I'm just saying that was a natural, this week, oh, Lord have mercy. I, I, in my feed this week, there was a picture of, I used to watch Dark Shadows every afternoon. There's a picture of David Selby playing Quentin Collins. It was his 83rd birthday. It was his happy birthday. They showed this picture of him back in the... My little nine-year-old heart inside of me went, whoo, Quentin Collins. And all, even then, I was like, Jesus, forgive me. I didn't mean to watch that. I, I promise I'll never watch it. <laughs> later it was. It was later. Don't you blaspheme, Dark Shadows. 
But you know what I'm saying is whatever is your definition of righteousness, that's what you focus on. I, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Jesus, but I love you know I love that Jesus. Jesus comes along and he says, Y'all have made this so complicated. I'm just going to give you this. It's two things you got to remember. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah, but I thought Quentin Collins is cute. Just shut up. Two. All right, three commandments. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor. Watch dark shadows. But you understand what I'm saying? It's like, I love that. Even the symbolism of the cross being... A, a horizontal and vertical—I mean, a vertical and horizontal being—to me, it even symbolizes. Just remember two things. If there's three things, you've made it too complicated. If there's fifteen things, you're in a false religion. If there's thirty-three things, you've made yourself insane. It's just two. If you're going to obsess over the cross, and I don't preach about the cross that much, but if you're going to—if the cross really means that much to you, please remember that it's just made out of two pieces of wood. Two things. Love God. Love your neighbor. How do you define that? That's your journey. That's what I can't tell you how you demonstrate that. But if you think about, all right, let's say that John was seeing this future event where everybody in humanity has got to see if their name is in a book. That doesn't even seem technologically savvy at this point. Can you imagine? If you went, like, if you were checking into uh, customs at the airport, and the, can you imagine if they brought some big dusty book out? Boom! Turn the page. That's insane. Wouldn't you think? Don't y'all have a computer? Isn't there a an app? Isn't there like y'all got a, a hashtag? You got something? You think about everybody who lived in humanity lined up as far as you can see. What's he up to? He's just up to the L's. I mean, if it's real, somebody needs to contact heaven and say, y'all need to update your technology. Y'all are going way old school on this. Furthermore, I thought he was supposed to know everything. Why does he got to depend on this book anyway? If he's all-knowing, don't you see how ridiculous it sounds? Why? Because it was somebody writing this thousands of years. That would have been their concept. Can I tell you what the Jews thought the book of life was? They believed it was anybody that was alive. If your name was not in the book of life, it meant you're not alive. You didn't exist. The book of life was the inclusion of everyone who ever lived. So according to a Jewish mindset, everybody who ever walked on the face of the earth's name is in the, is in the book of life. So let me show you this. I'm going to show you. This is Revelation 13.8. First, I'm going to show it to you in the New King James Version. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He's talking about the beast. He's talking about people who either worship the beast or worship the lamb. Okay? All who dwell on the earth will... And can I also say to you, where is the beast and where is the land? It's in you. The beast is the part of you that needs to be removed. The lamb is the part of you that needs to remain. 
when Jesus says there'll be two men, two men laying in a bed and one will be taken, one will be left behind, it's the same man. It's saying one part of him will be the circumcision of the heart. It will be removed. Even, I was thinking about this. Somebody said something about baptism recently. Because, you know, the scripture is called baptism, the circumcision of the heart. Water baptism has nothing to do with how God thinks about you. It's, it, it's, how, it's your self-perception. People get baptized because they want to make a statement of faith. Not, it's, there's not some being saying, get them all the way under, all the way under, and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, the way pe- people have argued over that, like, wow, well, y'all really missed the point on that. I'm not against baptism at all. If any of you want to be baptized, I baptized somebody all a couple of years ago in, in uh, down on Easter Sunday. But I don't think God was in heaven saying, like, if Rosalind doesn't get it, I baptized Rosalind. She's been baptized before. Why? She, there was something she wanted to make a statement about. It wasn't God saying, I don't know. That previous one, Rosalind, I don't think it took. You had to get, but you did it right this time because you got in the ocean on Easter Sunday. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is so interesting when he says the Lamb slain was not reactive to what Adam and Eve He said this was already done before the creation. People say it all the time and don't even believe it. Well, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. Well, if that's the case, then you're good. I mean, the thing, it would be like, it would be like setting up something for somebody before they're born. And all they have to do is just take it. They don't have to earn it. They just have to know that it's theirs. You might have money in an account somewhere, but if you don't know that you have it, you don't really have it. You have it when you know that you have it. Some of you right now could be multimillionaire. You don't even know it. Because there could be some, you don't know. You might have had some relative that died and left you all this inheritance. Well, I don't, know. I don't have any rich relatives. Well, don't say, you don't know. There might be millions sitting in an account right now just because you don't know it. You're not, take, you're not taking advantage of it. I remember my first house I bought, I sold it to a guy who worked for mortgage companies. And I remember him telling me, I said, what exactly do you do? And he said, I research um, escrow accounts. He said, you can't believe how much money people have never claimed because they don't know they have it. So it's my job to find this, this money is yours. And he said, you'd be surprised how many people don't believe it. They think it's a scam. And he's like, I'm telling you, You've had this money for 20 years and didn't know it. People are destroyed for lack of knowledge, not because of anything God did. Now, it says it a little differently in this next verse, in this next translation. This is, in, again, in the World English Bible, Revelation 13.8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been killed. It's a different take on it, but it's the same concept. 
In the New King James, he says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Here in the World English, he says the book was written from the foundation of the world. That's why, I don't know if you've ever heard the doctrine of predestination. There are some people who believe there's X amount of people who are predestined to be saved, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're either part of that number or you're not. What a depressing theology. I've told you this before, but back when I used to do a lot of door-to-door ministry, I would always end up in a neighborhood with Jehovah's Witnesses. I can't tell you how many times. Sometimes it'd be me, the Mormons, and the Jehovah's Witnesses. We'd have to pace ourselves. I'd be like, y'all go. I'll get them next. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Um, but, you know, you bond with people when it's 103 degrees and you're out knocking on doors. You know, you stop to have a Coke together. So I met a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and I used to ask him, I'd say, let me ask you something. i say, so y'all believe only 144,000 people are going to be saved. And they would say yes. And I said, well then, why are you looking for recruits? I mean, it seems like if there's X amount of number, the, the more people, the more converts you get, it's going to lessen the odds. If I thought there was only X amount of people, I'd be like, shh, y'all don't tell anybody this. I got to make sure... Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. Like, Come on now, y'all. How do I get in? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Shh. There's only 144,000 slots. Shut up. Don't knock on any doors. And I could tell, I remember when the light would come on with them. They'd be like, yeah, why am I doing this? I'd be like, y'all need to. I said, at least with mine, I'm, you know, my theology is I get a reward for this. Like the more the mirror, y'all got a cutoff number. Y'all better keep this on the down low. And it'd be like, you have a point. So this is what I want to say about this. Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Did you get born? Were you ever born? Then it's in. The fact that you existed, the fact that you live. <gasps> what about Hitler? Would y'all stop worrying about Hitler? Everybody wants to know. You can't tell me Hitler saved. I don't know how all that's going to work out. I don't have all the answer for all of that. All I know is Jesus said if you hated your brother, you're a murderer. So you want to say Hitler technically killed six million Jews. If you just hate Jews in general, So, if Hitler's in hell, you're going too. Tell him I said, hey. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount? I, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say if you even hated your brother. Well, that's true. Every racist, every bigot's going to hell. Tell the Jehovah's Witnesses, relax, there's plenty of spots open. <laughs> Ain't going to be that many people there anyway. If you start taking Jesus' words literally, you've heard it said, do not put your wife away except for adultery. If I say, I say if you've even thought about it, you've committed it. Like, right, row. I would never commit it, but I've thought about it a couple of times. Uh... 
So I don't know. I can't answer that. John the Baptist didn't say, behold Hitler. He said, behold the Lamb of God. So I have to say, that's everybody. His path, I'm, I'm not saying people shouldn't be in jail. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your debt to society. I believe that if you break the law. I'm, I'm not saying we should be lawless. I'm saying it has nothing to do with the God who loved humanity before he created it and can never stop loving it. I mean, you know, when you read Psalm 139, now when you look at it in the Hebrew, it says, if I make my bed in Sheol, which means the grave. But in the King James Bible, it says, if I, if I make my bed in hell, there you are. So if you're going to take it literally, that would mean if you go to hell, you can't stay there. He loves you too much. Doesn't it seem ludicrous that the, that the God who tells you to forgive your enemy 70 times 7 can't forgive his? I mean, think about the lunacy of that. Jesus, they've been screaming in the flames for 3,000 years. I don't care. It's not enough. They didn't say they loved me. And I, they're going to have to burn. Really? That's your Jesus? Ew. What a gross Jesus. The Jesus I know? Look, did you, did you ever have a kid say to you, one of your children, because they were mad, said, I hate you? Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts, but if they're really young, you're like, they're just being a stupid kid. Well, I'm, I'm disinheriting you. You said, you, you hate me. I'm like, Come on, grow up. If you don't have a, a strong Jesus, at least get a grown-up Jesus. A grown-up Jesus who isn't some adolescent that's pouting with people because they didn't pray the right prayer. Who's going to send them to hell? I said this to you the other day, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't it always be in the back of your mind if you met somebody that you thought, I have found Mr. Wright or Miss Wright, the love of my life. They're saying everything I want to say, and they say to you, baby, I love you no matter what you do. I'm always going to love you. I've always got your back. I'm, ain't nobody in the world but you as far as I'm concerned. What if I tell you I don't love you? Oh, I got a gun right here. I'm going to blow your brains out. Wouldn't that always kind of be in the back of your mind a little bit? Like, okay, thanks for the love, but the blow your brains out piece. Like, that's a little unsettling. Well, that's the God that we've preached. He loves you. If you've been the only person, he'd have died on the cross. What if I don't say the sinner's prayer? Oh, he's going to burn you in hell for you. He doesn't love you that much. God is love-ish. <laughs> He's not really love. Come on. You hear what I'm saying? I think I have more to say about this, but I'm going to put a comma here. Let's all stand. Did you get anything out of this today? We got to talk to Judah about this air conditioning. A little warm in here. No, I don't need the Beyonce phone. You did this. We're living in your manifestation. This is all your fault.
Rhonda believed for a warmer theater. She got it. Did you get anything out of this today? Please remain standing. I'll show this to you and then I'll speak a blessing over you. And I to say this month we're giving to United United Way of Atlanta. Is that right? Yeah, we're this month. I for, sorry about that, Michelle. I forgot to show that we we are. Sewing into United Way of Atlanta this month. <clears throat> Last month was St. Jude's uh, Hospital. Remember, we will not be here next Sunday. We'll be at Spirit and Truth. And if you can come out, that would be great. You're not under obligation to, but I'd, I'd love to see you there if you want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I won't hold it against you, but I can't. I can't promise you what God's going to think about it. That's on Him. I want you to become self-actualized in this truth. The reason I want to go back into your garden is I want you to feel secure in who you are. But believe in believe in the God who believes in you. Um, I was listening to the soundtrack from Hair this week, the musical Hair from the 60s, and um, the opening song says, the, the character's name is Claude. He says, I believe in God, and I believe that God believes in Claude. That's true. And I thought, boy, that's way ahead of its time. He says, I believe in God, but I believe God believes in Claude. I'm like, you go, Claude. I love it. Uh, you're going to have a blessed week, a beautiful day. The Spirit of God enables you to talk about what you want to happen instead of what is happening, what you want to happen instead of what has happened, that you live in the now, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out, blessed in the city and the country, the basket and the store. You wake up tomorrow saying, this is the day the Lord has enabled me to make. I will rejoice and be glad. God bless you. I love you so much. Peace.